Behind the scenes, 35. Transmitters? We don't need no stinking transmitters. This is Behind the Scenes, an inside look at what it takes to put together a podcast and make it work. Check it out. Hey, this is Craig Patchett, and this is Behind the Scenes number 35, tonight featuring a very special interview with Chris Christensen from the Amateur Traveler podcast. Now, the reason I say that this is a very special interview is that, well, not only is Chris a great guy and a really good sport, as I'll explain in a second, but he also has a podcast that covers a lot of different facets of podcasting. He not only has an audio podcast, but he does an enhanced version of that for iTunes and the iPod. He does a video podcast and also has been successful in getting sponsors for his show, not only on his own, but also through his recent collaboration with Podshow. So lots of stuff going on in this interview, lots of things to talk about. The interview was conducted live in front of the Orange County Podcasters at a recent meetup. And that's the main reason why I say that Chris is a really good sport, because somehow I failed to mention to him when he agreed to do the interview that I would be conducting the interview live in front of the group. And so kind of put him on the spot a little bit. Uh, He did a fabulous job, and I think we got a really good interview. So without any further ado, I'll talk about the technical aspects of the interview afterwards. Let's jump right into it. Chris, welcome to Behind the Scenes. Thank you. Now, for you listening, we're recording this at the Orange County Podcasters Meetup, and so uh, (laughs) if there's noise in the background like that, uh, you'll know where it's coming from. (laughs) And we'll also field questions at the end of the interview as well. So why don't you start out by talking about how you got into podcasting and especially, or including, why this particular show? I started listening to podcasts. I became aware of it through screensavers and then Twit. So came in through the tech TV connection. So didn't hear about podcasting probably till spring of 2005 and pretty soon said, oh, I want to do a podcast. Okay, what do I want to do a podcast on? And thought about doing a tech podcast, but Adam was already doing the MacCast, so it didn't seem any point to that. And uh, thought about being a Godcaster, actually just started a show just recently, but had originally decided I, that was going to be too much work. And then we had a picnic at my house at Memorial Day and a lot of friends over and we were telling stories as my friends will do. And I noticed all the good stories were travel. And I went, that's what I want to do. And I've, I don't travel as much as I'd like to, but I love travel. And I think if I traveled as much as I'd like to, I wouldn't have to do the podcast. But it sort of helps fill that need for me to think about travel and talk about travel. So it's my mini vacation every week. And that, I think that's one of the things that helps me keep it going week after week. Okay. How many shows have you done so far? I've done 70 shows, and then I have two interviews in the can for the next two shows. And that's over the course of? Uh, uh, 72 weeks. 72 weeks. I took a week off when I went to Australia and a week off when I went to Tanzania. So one weekly show. Pretty much. And then how long are the shows on average? They started probably about 45 minutes, and I decided at some point that that was a little long when I started looking at my log files for how many people didn't download the whole file, and so I, I shortened the show to about 35 minutes on average. Now, I'm assuming that you haven't gone on 72 trips Correct. over the last 72 <laughs> weeks. So no, uh, if I had, I wouldn't have time for podcast. <laughs> <laughs> how do you get content for the show? I haven't looked at the numbers recently, but probably about a third of the shows come from personal trips, and since I'm 
podcasting more than I'm traveling. I'm running out of those eventually. And so the other two-thirds come from interviews, and about a third of those from listeners who um, write in usually and say, hey, I love the show about uh, Egypt. Would you be interested in a story where I went to Tonga and swam with whales and brought a hydrophone and recorded a whale song? <laughs> yeah, I would be interested in that. And so about a third come from listeners. A third come from friends who I invite on because I've heard them tell their stories about their trip and think, oh, that's great. It, my audience would love to hear that. And then the other third come from podcasters that I listen to who mention, for instance, oh, I just got back from, from, from such and such. And they're, oh, okay. And I'll write them and say, hey, would you like to come on the show and talk about it? Or talking about their hometown. That's the other thing with podcasters is I'll sometimes get them to sort of take us on a tour of their hometown. Now, I assume that out of those different types of shows, the shows where you're talking about trips that you've gone on are probably the easiest to put together. No, those are the hardest. Really? Why? Um, They require more work. I've got to go find the trip journal. We always write a trip journal, so at least I have the recollections of what it was we did. I have to go pick out from my pictures the pictures that represent it. They tend to take a little longer and a little more work, in part probably because the stories are old to me. So I'm retelling something that I know, and part of the thing that is refreshing about the interviews is I'm hearing new stories. And sometimes the stories are just hilarious. They're just hearing about things you would just never expect to have happen, which is part of one of the reasons why travel is interesting, is I think there are those sort of surprises when you travel and you come up against your preconceived notion of what the way things are, and then you go someplace else and they're not. You know, a recent show, someone was talking about going to Peru and in this one area that somehow part of the courting ritual involved throwing rocks at each other. I don't know what that is, but it certainly took me by surprise, and it's just those sort of surprises that make those shows at least feel like less effort. Okay. Walk us through the process of of putting a show together where you're the one hosting it and, and recollecting your own travel experiences. I tend to do an edited show, and I tend to think probably in one to two minute clips. And so the, ten, the show, as I'm putting together the enhanced podcast, I tend to think about one particular episode or one particular story, and so I'll record that, and then I'll probably find pictures and such for that, and then I'll sort of move on. So it's not typically more than a five or ten minute take on any particular point. Because I'll say something, I'll screw up something, and I won't go back and fix that or whatever. So it tends to be a lot of start and stop as I'm recording when I'm doing it myself. I've gone through, as I mentioned, and found my travel journal, and I've gone through the pictures if it's a recent enough trip that I have them on the computer, or I've scanned in pictures if it's a long enough time ago that it's before I went digital. And then I usually just sit down with maybe an outline, but usually the pictures and the journal and that will remind me of, you know, when we went there, we did this, and this is the funny thing that happened while we were doing that, or this is what was really cool about that particular location. Right. What kind of equipment or what kind of setup are you using? I'm recording on my laptop, which is currently a MacBook Pro, and then I'm using a Plantronics USB headset mic with an external A to D converter, a recording directly into the computer. Into GarageBand? Or into GarageBand, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, all the shows have been in GarageBand before and after GarageBand had podcast support, per se. Okay, now what about when you bring in 
somebody else who's doing the recollection. I'm assuming that's going to be a phone call or a Skype call. That's, more often it's a phone call than, than anything, but I'm always on Skype. So I'm either using Skype out or we're doing Skype to Skype. Typically, if it's another podcaster, then we might be doing Skype to Skype. And we might be doing a double-ender, although only a couple of the shows have been double-ender. Usually, I'm just doing a Skype out to phone. You know, for those listeners who don't know what a double-ender du- is. Double-ender, so you're recording on both sides. So I'm recording my audio input, and they're recording their audio input, and then when you put it together, if everything goes well, then you have very clear audio as if you were in the same room. And if everything doesn't go well, you only have one half. So once you're done with the interview, they send you a recording. They send the recording, right. Okay. For the Enhanced Podcast. Now, an Enhanced Podcast is basically a podcast that includes images and use... And links also. And links also. Mm-hmm. And so as you're listening to the podcast, either on a uh, fifth generation or later iPod or... Right any iPod with a color screen, you're going to see photos from... Or, or in the, iTunes, right. Or in iTunes. Mm-hmm. You're going to see photos from the trip as you're talking about those particular... Right. How, how has that been in terms of making your job more difficult? That turns a 35-minute show into a six-hour effort. Is that true even with the new Garage Band? Yeah. I've probably gotten a little faster, but then I've gotten a little fussier about the audio. So that kind of evened out. So it's a, roughly about a six-hour effort for a 35-minute show uh, if everything goes well. Last week it was eight hours because something didn't go right. But typically it's somewhere in five to six hours because sometimes I'll get pictures from the guest. Here's the photo gallery online of all the places I went. And then it'll go a little faster. Okay, they're talking about this now. That's a great photo to use to illustrate that. But then I'm still Googling for where is the information about that museum or uh, that tour company that they mentioned. I want to put a link in right there in the show as well as in the show notes for that particular information. And so that's also where part of the time is coming from. So how much of the time would you say is prep versus actually sitting down in front of the computer and assembling everything? I don't prep that much. I tend to well, ask I mean, I mean the prep same in terms questions. of searching for photos and searching for oh, things. Okay. And yeah, that's sort of post-production for me, but that's probably two hours of it. Okay, so it actually takes four hours to take all the, the images and so forth and assemble them right. in and put them in the right place and figure out where... It's, it's probably two hours of that, two hours of the other, two, you know, an hour for the audio... And then posting it, all the different, yeah, I have a formula for, and when it's done, here's how I'm going to publicize this particular show. It'll, it'll get posted on these forums. It'll get uh, bookmarks and these bookmarking services. I tend to use OnlyWire to get it out to a large number of bookmarking services. I have written some scripts so that I have a formatted HTML that I can paste into my MySpace and into various different places with different formats for different places as is appropriate. Okay. Now, before I move on to uh, some of the other aspects with the audio show, I just want to mention that you also have a video feed. Right. Yeah, I have three shows. I have the two Amateur Traveler. A video show comes out about monthly, uh, and it's about a five-minute show. It tends to be no audio, uh, no voiceover at this point, and it's mostly just pictures, although I'm looking at potentially changing that. I'm still playing with that. Now, when you say, when you say just pictures, you mean just video? Just video. Right. Yeah. And is that something that you take the time to edit, or do you try to just capture it as, as is and put it out there? No, way? it takes time to edit, yeah. Okay. And that's one of the reasons they come out monthly. <laughs> so for five minutes, how long does that take you to put together? Um, it depends. I put together, for instance, one show from my trip to Africa last summer, and I still probably have two shows that have taken months. So 
it can take a while when I have a lot of video to go through and choose from. It's a little easier now with today, for instance, I was shooting video in Hollywood, but I was just shooting probably about 10 minutes of video and I'll use about five minutes. And that won't take as long, maybe two, three hours. Over the last 72 weeks, how have you gone about building up your audience? I have, well, one of the things is as I'm bringing other podcasters on, that, that's helping because in terms of visibility, and they're usually mentioning to their audience that they're there, I have, as I said, posted in various places. And so some of that has led to publicity. I had, was interviewed for National Geographic Traveler, I believe in January, and was in the April issue uh, talking about podcasts. And they, I believe, had seen a posting I had put on Fodor's mentioning, oh, well, if you're going there, you might be interested in this show, and here's what I learned while I was there. You know, In being part of the community and doing something on topic, but still plugging the show that would provide more information that they'd be interested in. So I believe it was a link that I'd put on Fodor's that either it was either them or I was also interviewed for um, New York Times, although I didn't make the final cut in that article. So that sometimes will lead to other things. Uh, the publicity that you get can lead to other publicity. So uh, most things that I've done is publishing it out various places on the Internet. I've put out some press releases. I don't know that they've done that much. Now, the appearances in, well, actually, I guess just the appearance in uh, National Geographic. I'm National assuming Ge- Geographic Traveler. Travel little little smaller yeah. subscriptions. <laughs> I'm assuming that, that once that came out, you saw a spike in, in listenership. Not so much. Not so much. Um, I was also in Men's Journal in just before the expo, so probably August, named as one of the four best adventure travel podcasts. And as far as I could tell, no, from online monthly periodicals, not that much of a bump in terms of listenership. I think in part because, okay, here's a podcast. I still don't know what to do with the fact that you tell me that this is a podcast. So I haven't seen that much traction from those so far. So it's been more word of mouth that's provided the, the most consistent growth? Probably, yeah. Okay. That and, you know, the things that you don't necessarily do. So I have been featured in iTunes a couple times, and that definitely helps. And then since I joined Podshow, they've obviously given me publicity, and that's helped a lot, too. Okay, well, that makes a nice segue into Mm -hmm. into Podshow. So let's talk first about sponsorship. Before you became a part of Podshow, you had already gained a sponsor, although... Sort of. I had had stumbled into a sponsor, yes. I was contacted by an ad agency in Texas that was interested in sponsoring the show with a related sponsor. It was uh, Hotelbook.com, which is a a London hotel site, and they were interested in sponsoring the show, and basically they gave me a short script to read, 10 seconds at the front of the show and 30 seconds at the end of the show, and they sponsored for 10 weeks and then uh, uh, renewed that sponsorship for another 10 weeks. What happened once you signed up with Pacho? How did that come about? Was that something where they approached you, or did... Yeah, they approached me, and in part they approached me because they have had people approaching them saying, we're interested in travel, do you have more travel shows? So uh, predominantly people like Sheraton that's doing a current sponsorship basically had been coming to them saying, do you have travel, do you have travel? And I knew a lot of the people from Podshow from the San Francisco podcaster meetup. So they really started talking to me probably in February or March. So we'd been talking for a while and finally signed a contract in August. And I realize it's been a short period of time, but what's your experience been it's been very positive. The big reason I went with Podshow was publicity. That for me, I felt that I could continue to grow the show rather slowly, sort of consistently, slowly, gradually, or I could join someplace else. And I didn't see any of the other 
opportunities having quite as much ability to drive traffic as Podshow. Some of the other networks and such, I just didn't think had as much traffic and therefore would be able to drive as much traffic. And have you noticed a difference in traffic since oh, yeah. signing up? Oh, yeah. Basically, the original spike pushed my traffic levels for you know a week or two as people were sampling it to about 12 times normal traffic levels. Wow. And then it settled back down to about three times, three or more times what I was getting before. So, yeah, it's been, that's been very positive. Because they, you know, mentioned me on Adam's show. I've recorded a trailer for the uh, network, but I don't believe that's gone out yet. But then they've also featured the show on Podcast Alley, and then most recently, right now, uh, featured an interview on the front page of Podcast Alley. So that helps. Yeah, so that's a significant difference in a short amount of time. Yeah. As far as the sponsorship deals for Sheraton.com is concerned... Given the increase in listenership, right. has the rate that they've been paying been commensurate with what you were getting prior? Uh, yeah, uh, the show audience has gone up about three times, and the rate has gone up more than three times. And this was actually more of an interim deal while they were setting up bigger deals. They said, well, I brought the other sponsorship and had to finish that when I joined Podshow. I still had five, six weeks on that. So I finished out that commitment, and then they didn't think they could have anything from major deal ready until maybe first part of next year for Sheraton. So they said, well, how about this? We've been able to do just a quick five-week sponsorship for the end of the year and gave me a number and said, does that sound good? And I, sure, yeah. Okay. And it's a 10-second ad for Sheraton, pre-recorded ads. They were originally going to do um, pre-roll and post-roll ads, as you hear on the pod shows, but the enhanced podcast they can't currently support. Mm. So I'm doing a manual insert of those ads. Okay. Is your listenership, the numbers, or is that something that's public, or is it something you keep? Uh, my, f- I, my feed burner numbers are public, although they're split across the two feeds. That's one of the disadvantages of the enhanced podcast is if you do one, I recommend that you still do an MP3 version because some people just don't have anything that can play in an AAC file. And so I have two different feeds, and they're both public on FeedBurner, but because they're separate, they don't get added up, and so it doesn't show. So right now, I just crossed over about 900 subscribers for the first time today, actually, yesterday. So a respectable number, but right. certainly points out to people that you don't have to be in the tens of thousands in order right. to start considering sponsorship deals. Right. When I started the sponsorship with Hotel Book, I had about 500 subscribers and about 1,000 listeners. As far as the sponsorship deal with Hotel Book, anything that you want to share in terms of the rate, how you came about setting that rate? <laughs> uh, yeah, they come to you and they say, what do you want to do for a rate? <laughs> and uh, he makes a audible shrug here. And I didn't know, but I had been in an ad network with fruitcast.com starting before the first expo. And I met them at the expo and they had said they thought they could get people about 10 cents a download. And then when they started, they were getting about 5 cents a download and that sort of dropped off to about 2 cents a download because they weren't really getting anything that was at all targeted to the kind of show you were doing. They were getting really sort of broad, irrelevant advertising for the show. And so the the value was dropping in that. And so when I started, I said, well... I, the feed burner numbers are public. The downloads vary a lot depending on what the show is about. So I'll do about ten cents a, a subscriber was kind of where I came up with the number. And they said yes right away. So that was probably a mistake. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe the negotiation is the first one. The names the number loses is the, is what I've heard. And yeah, oh well, what are you going to do? So is there anything else that uh, that you'd like to add before I I toss it out to the crowd here? Uh, I've got a new show. Uh, it, it 
did mention that I had thought about becoming a Godcaster. I have a show called The Bible Study Podcast, thebiblestudypodcast.com, which is very new for a small audience so far. And then one last question, actually. And not enhanced, because that's like way too much time. <laughs> <laughs> one last question I have is, is from all these 72 weeks of experience and wisdom and all that you've gained from podcasting, what, what is it that keeps you going? For me, it's the content area. I'm still interested in travel, and it's having heard these new travel stories that I wouldn't have heard and made these... You know, it feels like I've made friends now all over, both podcasters who you get on the phone and you think... Well, clearly we know each other because I've listened to your show and you've listened to mine, or the listeners, there's that level of connection that's just a lot of fun. Uh, I really feel like I'm enjoying that part of it probably more than anything else. Have you had a chance to take advantage of that network yet? Not yet. Not yet. haven't uh, had tour guides around any places I travel yet, but uh, uh, next summer I'm hoping to visit a few podcasters as we go to Europe. Okay, great. All right, well, let's see if we have any questions. My name's Russell from the Fat Guy Radio Show. And I was wondering, you mentioned some link sites. You mentioned MySpace, sure. link sites. Can you elaborate a little bit on where you might post links? or? Uh... So I post to podcastingnews.com, MySpace. There's a number of different uh, Web 2.0 sites that are sort of trying to do a dig-like thing. There's about four or five of them. I'm drawing a blank on some of the names right now. Poddug was one, but it died. I've used Pop Current. Pop Current is one of them. Um, also Netscape, which does have a travel content area. If Dig had a content area about travel, I would certainly post there, but it's inappropriate for my show content. Do you look at your statistics at all in terms of where people are coming from? I do less so. I don't have access to them since I've gotten on Podshow, but since my day job is running Internet websites, I'm a bit of a statistics nut uh, before that and was writing all my own scripts to do statistics. In terms of refers, most of my refers are still from uh, Google, hmm. more than anything else. And sometimes they're, you know, because they search for the word amateur and they weren't really looking for travel. <laughs> and, uh, some, and quite often they search for amateur traveler. Okay, so they heard about me some other way and they found me with, uh, found me with Google. Or travel podcast is, is the other most popular keyword. And I do do the keyword. Basically, if you get a Google website account, you can look for what kind of keywords to put on your site based on your content. And the best reference for that is Jason Van Orden's book. About yeah, absolutely. Promoting, promoting your podcast. Hi, I'm Bob from Baseball History Podcast. And you mentioned the 10 cent per listener that you... Uh, you threw out there to a ten cent. I was doing ten cents a subscriber. Ten cents a subscriber, which was about five cents a listener. Um, you, the sort of rule of thumb that I have heard most podcasters talk about in terms of if you're doing a price per download, somewhere in the five to ten cent range. At least if you're trying to figure out. I know someone who's got fifty listeners who's quit their job so that they can try and make a living off podcasting. That's going to be a hard number to get a per user kind of number that's going to add up to something where you can live off of. But you said that when you told them that figure, they jumped on it and you realized it was too low. Well, I wondered if it was too low. Now, I did raise it later on, and they did raise it, but they asked for a provision in the second contract that since I would often be talking about, they put absolutely no constraints on what I talked about. But they said, sometimes you're talking about places where we don't have hotels. How about we take the higher rate, 
but we'll get an option to opt out of three shows. So we'll do 10 shows of your next 13. And that seemed like a fairly fair deal since I didn't have people knocking down the door for doing uh, sponsors. So they didn't, for instance, sponsor my shows on Tanzania because they didn't have any hotels in Arusha or Moshi in Tanzania. So you just found more uh, restrictions when you went to a higher rate? At least from that particular, uh, that particular subscriber. Although not in any restrictions that I'd say were a problem for me. That seemed very reasonable to work with and very easy to work with. The one thing I did have to worry about, though, is every week I had to give them enough advance notice so that they could get me if they wanted to change the script. And there were times that I don't think I really quite lived up to the, I think, the two-day warning that I was supposed to give them because it's Friday night and I still haven't figured out what the show is going to be on Saturday. And so I sent them a quick email on Saturday night or whatever. But if you could go back to that first day when you told them 10 cents... What would you tell them now? He would have quickly added per minute after they agreed. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Did I say per uh, subscriber? I meant per download. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I don't think it was an unreasonable rate for what I was providing for them. And I'm not trying to quit the day job. I actually have a nice day job that I like. So uh, that's the advantage of doing it as a hobby. Hence the word amateur in the title. It's the amateur as in to do something for the love of it, not as in trying to be amateurish. I had a question on your software that you used to uh, compile the audio and video. What software did you did you mention that? What you use? GarageBand on a Mac. It's part of the iLife suite on a Macintosh. There isn't really a way to do that easily on a PC yet, and which is one of the reasons there aren't as many shows that are in the enhanced podcast format. The other reason being it's a lot of work. And the third reason being that it, you do have that issue then of you probably ought to do two different feeds. I do make the enhanced version, and then I hide the podcasting track, which I think I learned from Adam because I used to delete the podcasting track, not realizing I could just hide it, <laughs> and then output, again, the AIFF version and then convert that to MP3. With the, uh, the 10 cents per subscriber, what period of time is that measured over? I mean that you know your subscribers are growing over time. Yes. Right. So, how do you make the cutoff for? Oh yeah. Uh, so it, when I figured out how much I was going to charge, you're saying, and I said, "Gee, I have this many subscribers." I did not do a deal, for instance, that was conditional on the number of downloads or the number of subscribers I had. And what that means is it was a good deal for them, uh, especially when I did the deal and then signed up with Podshow and then jumped to 12 times the traffic. They got a bargain because that's the way the contract was written. Got it. So you locked it in. I locked it in. That They were more comfortable probably with a fixed rate, but it does set you at a disadvantage that if you're growing. And that was one of the reasons for I didn't want to do like a one-year promotion or a 20-week or something like that. Ten weeks seemed reasonable. But basically, at that point, I was giving, even at that rate, I gave away a lot of, um, you know, even if I assume that downloads or subscribers is an appropriate measure, and not everybody is selling things that way, but if I assumed that that was an appropriate measure, which is what I was assuming, at least at the time when I was selling my own, yeah, I gave away a lot of free downloads. They were very happy with the deal. <laughs> Make your customer happy. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, uh, Tom here from the Unreal OC. Did you base the subscriber number on the uh, 
feed burner stats? Or yeah, where did you, I did okay. base it on the feed burner stats. So you actually had some real stats. I, and I didn't say specifically, I'm basing this on the feed burner stats and this is how much I'm charging you for subscribers. I just used that kind of as a rule of thumb to say that's a public measure that they could look at if they wanted to. And so if the show is going to grow, for instance, later on, and I'm going to come back and say, now I want more money, I wanted something that I could say, look, this number was here now, and now it's here, and therefore it's going to be more expensive when you sign up again, which I did do the second time through. It was about 20% larger audience in between the, after that 10 weeks. So. Hi, Victor from Immigration Tales Podcast. When you're getting your pictures for the podcast, if they're not given to you by the people who do the travel, uh, are you having to look for things that are Creative Commons or are you, what issues? Yeah, are there? that's a that's a tough one. What I tend to do is I tend since I'm just using a thumbnail of the picture because you can't do anything larger than 300 by 300. I tend if I can find something that's Creative Commons or find something that is public domain, I will use that. If I don't, then I try and link back to the site so that. I figure that I'm giving them something in exchange for using the thumbnail of their picture, and usually I'm linking back to either the larger picture, which people may want to see, or I'm linking to the site in general. Uh, sometimes the picture is a screen capture of a website, for instance, then I don't feel bad at all about basically I'm providing publicity for it. But yeah, it's a, t- it's a tough question because I'm more comfortable when I get pictures that I can say, yeah, I know that this is, this is something that is my picture, for instance. That's real easy. My name's Howard. I'm a, a photographer, and I was wondering, do you also use, like, iPhoto? iPhoto is where I keep all my own personal uh, digital pictures, and usually when I get pictures from other people, if they send me the pictures, iPhoto is just where I manage my photo library, so they sometimes will go in there, too. And it integrates very well with GarageBand, correct? It does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, GarageBand, you can pick out a picture from your iPhoto albums and, and drag it in directly, although I don't tend to do that because I've got multiple different windows open and such. So, All right, well, thank you very much for participating <laughs> in this and letting me put you on the spot, and good luck with uh, continued growth and the listenership for your show. Well, thank you. All right. <laughs> so that completes the interview itself. With respect to the technical aspects, uh, right now, actually, I'm recording on the Zoom H4 using the internal mics and actually using the C414 mic modeling mode. For the interview, I also used the Zoom H4, but I used it with two external mics, two Audio-Technica AT853s, which can be used as clip-on lapel mics. They're originally designed to be room mics. But one of the nice things about these mics is that you can replace the capsules. By unscrewing the top of the mic, you can swap in different capsules. So you can use them as omnidirectional mics, cardioids, hypercardioids, and so forth, depending on which capsules you buy. So I had intended to do the interview with two cardioid mics so that uh, the directional aspects of those mics would isolate the voice of the person the mic was clipped to and minimize the amount of uh, pickup from the other person and from the room, but unfortunately left a omnidirectional mic on mine or an omnidirectional capsule on mine accidentally, and so you'll hear a little bit of echo as a result of that. For the audience questions at the end of the interview, I passed around or rather the audience passed around a Marantz PMD-660 using the internal mics, and we did that to allow the questions to be picked up. And then after everything was done, brought everything home, took the files from the H4 and the Marantz, split them up into three tracks, mixed them together in a new beta version of Amadeus Pro on the Macintosh, 
uh, which is an excellent editing program for the Mac. Amadeus Pro allows you to use multiple tracks, whereas Amadeus itself just allows you to do a stereo track. Got everything lined up properly with the Marantz Audio and then went in and did my primary editing. Exported that, brought it into GarageBand, mixed in the intro to the show and the explanation of what was going on, and then output it to an AIFF and convert it to MP3. Kind of a complex process, but I wanted to try a couple of different things. One of the things you'll hear in this mix is that my voice in the interview is coming out of slightly out of one side and Chris is out of the other whereas the audience questions are in the middle. Usually I recommend against doing this because if you pan too far left or right for different voices, it can become a little bit disorienting to the listener. But uh, I thought it might be interesting to try it where it wasn't panned fully left and right just a little bit to create that separation. So you can judge for yourself whether or not it's, it's something that you like or don't like and decide whether or not to do it for your own shows. And that wraps things up for this edition of Behind the Scenes. If you have any feedback, questions, comments on this or any other show, you can always reach me at craig at godcast.org. That's C-R-A-I-G at G-O-D-C-A-S-T dot O-R-G. You can leave a voicemail at 815-301-8600. Or you can leave a comment at the website at btscast.org. Dot com. That's BTS, as in behind the scenes. Thanks for listening. This is Craig Patchett, and until next time, God bless. This has been a handcrafted podcast production. <laughs>